All right, so this is kind of, uh, we've, we've been doing this in sections. So the first chunk of this series, we just looked at who the Holy Spirit is. Then a couple of weeks ago, we, get, we began to talk about how do we cultivate a personal relationship with him. And so we talked about learning to hear his voice and different ways that we can learn to hear his voice. Um, and then last week, we talked about potential obstacles that can, can get in the way of us cultivating a healthy relationship with him. And so now this morning, where the first couple of weeks have been kind of focused on personally getting to know him and recognizing his voice in our life, a key part of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is cooperating with him. It's participating in what he's up to in the world. In other words, God isn't just interested in having a quiet little personal relationship with you. He wants you to be connected with the world around you. And he is up to things in the world around us all the time. And so one of the ways that we can have a, a rich, full relationship with God is learning to participate in what he's up to. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Now, there are some things that build on the Holy Spirit as our helper. So I want to remind us of three quick things that we talked about several weeks ago. We talked about the Holy Spirit being our helper. Number one, you do not have to be qualified God uses anyone. He provides the help. He provides the power. He brings his presence. We just have to be willing to show up and say, I'm in. I'll participate. So anyone is qualified. You have to be surrendered. So much of our pitfalls as it relates to our relationship with God and specifically doing things for God, I, I don't actually think God's asking us to do things for him. I believe he's asking us to do things with him. There's a big difference. He says, I'm with you. When he says, go therefore into all the world, he says, I will be with you. And so he is inviting us to do stuff with him. That means I have to be surrendered to his will instead of asking God to come show up and do what I want him to do. It's a big difference there. So it, you do not have to be qualified. You are qualified. You, we've got to be surrendered. And then when the Holy Spirit shows up, he brings two things. He brings his presence and he brings his power. And we need both. We need his presence if we're going to participate with him in the world, seeing people's lives impacted. And we're definitely going to need his power. Man, I can't save people. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been preaching consistently now for a long time. And I'm still very aware of how limited my ability to communicate is. I need his help just to communicate gospel truth. But he gives that. He brings power. So what we're going to do, there are kind of three main points this morning, but instead of just having a list of three things to learn, we're going to take five to ten minutes and look at three different stories. Three different stories this morning. These are all found in the book of Acts, and they are ways that disciples of Jesus were participating with the Holy Spirit. They were participating with him, and, and they were able to be a part of seeing people's lives impacted by God. They got to cooperate. So that's where we're going this morning. So our first story is found in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. This is a story about Peter and John when they come walking into the temple. So this is after the day of Pentecost has happened. You know, Peter's boldly preached, and then thousands of people got saved. And now they are just living life following Jesus right there in Jerusalem. And people are taking notice as lives are changing. And so here are Peter and John, 
And, um, and they're just, they're going about their day. You know, that's what I want to communicate here. They're going about their day. And a part of their day is worshiping God. And so let's pick up the story and see what happens. Acts chapter 3, we're going to start by reading verses 1 through 8. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. So we've got a a man, an adult, who's been lame since his birth, and people carry him every single day and put him by this gate so he can beg, so he can get money to survive. And so they place him there. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a cool story. So Peter and John, first of all, I mentioned this already, but they were going about their regular business. They were participating in a normal day. And so one of the things they did regularly was go into the temple at the hour of prayer to pray. Now, why do I mention that? Because there are things we are doing all day, every day, that are just a part of our normal routine, but the Holy Spirit wants to invite us to take note of what's happening around us. And so the first thing we see is Peter took note. I love that phrase, Peter directed his gaze. There is a sense of intentionality. I'm seeing this person. I'm paying attention to them. I notice them. Now, you got to know this guy has a lot of people that must walk by him every day. And he's just part of the background noise. We know further in, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 22, it tells us that he's over 40 years old. People that have been going to the temple their whole lives have been walking past this guy. They're familiar with him. And so he's just a part of the scene. And I just wonder how many times there are people around us, there are opportunities around us that we just miss because it just seems like it's just part of, part of the noise, part of the commotion of the day. But see, this guy was more than just a part of the scene. He was a person. He was a person. And I think it's interesting, not only do Peter and John really like look intently at him, but they tell him, look at us. Not only was this guy invisible to people, he felt invisible. This means he wasn't even looking at him. He's just kind of sitting there, alms, alms, expecting maybe once every so often somebody will drop something in there. I wonder how many times people walked by and gave him something, but there was no human interaction. He just hears the change, you know, hitting the bottom of the cup. But Peter and John looked at him and they engaged him. They said, hey, look at us. Now, Practically, they were inviting him to look up. But but I think very specifically, that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do with people around us. 
is to pay attention to them, to take note, to, to be engaged with them and invite them to look up. And there was something about the way that Peter said, look at me, that got this bro's attention. He's like, man, I'm expecting to get something. And he did. He was touched by God. He was healed. So I believe the kind of main thrust of this, I believe, is that God wants us to see the unseen. That that's the role the Holy Spirit will play. He'll help us to see the unseen. But there's, there's, something, there's something to this. It's not just about us inventing opportunities or looking for opportunities. You know, everything we said the last two weeks ties into this. It's about recognizing the Holy Spirit's voice. He's with me and I see the thing he sees. Now, I want you to think about something. Jesus, would, you, would we all agree Jesus healed a lot of people while he walked the earth? If we read through the Gospels, we see a lot of stories. Did he heal any lame people? Yeah. He healed some blind people too, right? Absolutely. Think about something for a minute. This guy had been getting set by this gate begging daily for 40 years. Jesus ascended to heaven about a month and a half before this, roughly. Jesus had walked by this guy. Think about that. Jesus had walked by this guy. Was Jesus ignoring him? Was Jesus rejecting him? The, the point is, this day was the day. This day. I don't know why. I don't understand the mystery of why that day was there. I have no idea what was going on in that beggar's heart. I have no idea what was going on in Peter and John's heart. Guess what? We don't have to know. God knows. And he cares about people. And so if we're going to participate with him, what can happen is he can cause us to see the unseen in normal everyday life when we're being sensitive to his voice. He'll say, hey, pay attention over here. See this, see this person, see this opportunity. And we can see it with fresh eyes and respond. And who knows what God might want to do? But Peter took note, he sees the guy, and then there's this interaction, and the guy is healed. Now, I, I want to I make a couple other quick points before we move the, through this too quickly. Um, I love how Peter and John respond after the fact when the miracle happens, all right? They see the person that needs to be seen. They minister to them. God heals them. And then take note of what happens, verses 9 through 12. This guy is jumping up and down, walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him, this is verse 9 now, saw him walking and praising God. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They're like, that's the brother that's been there for 40 years, there was no doubt in their mind, this wasn't some scheme, this wasn't some like prearranged, you know, tele-evangelist, wheel the guy in that never had a problem to begin with. I don't, this was a known person. This guy did not walk for 40 years, they knew it. And they see him jumping and leaping, and it says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. 
You see Peter and John's reaction? This wasn't about them. And it wasn't about making a name for themselves. And it wasn't about being the guy who now heals people. What they cared about were two things. They cared about that man sitting right there today. And they cared about Jesus Christ getting the glory and the credit. Because they knew it wasn't about them being good enough. And they knew it wasn't about them being powerful enough. See, I I think sometimes we think that we can't see this kind of stuff in our lives. And we just assume maybe it's something that, some area I fall short in. But these disciples said, this isn't about us being good, holy guys. It's not about us having some mysterious power. We just know Jesus. The Holy Spirit is present in our lives and we're just living with him. And he wants to heal people. And he has the power to make a difference. And so we're with him. They never claim or take credit. Not only that, they don't miss the opportunity to give the credit to Jesus. And so they point people to him. So that they, only, they not only don't take the credit, they're sure to give it away. I'll, I'll catch this right here. You remember, this whole thing is about cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is brings very little attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is constantly pointing to the Father and the Son. If I'm cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to become more like that. Where it's not about me or making a name for myself. I become like him. His spirit rises up in me and I do what he does. And I glorify the Father and the Son. Y'all catching that? Cultivating that relationship means we are changing along the way. And we have more and more of his heart. And so we care about the person in front of us and we glorify Jesus. And then finally... They make it so clear what Jesus is all about. They spend several verses letting these people know the power that this guy got healed from was because of the same Jesus that y'all participated in seeing crucified. And he rose again from the grave and he brings power to change lives. And in verse 19, Peter says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Guys, somewhere along the way, as Christians, I think specifically as American Christians, we have started buying into this mentality that it's not that important for us to share the gospel of Jesus. That it's just enough if we meet somebody's practical need. You know, you've heard the phrase like, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That, that exists for a reason because there was a type of evangelism that would totally ignore the person and would totally ignore the need and was just about winning converts and getting a notch on my belt. So the idea behind that phrase is preach with your life, care about people, meet their needs. The point wasn't to stop sharing the gospel. The gospel of Jesus isn't just let's meet practical needs. It's let's see the person, care about the person. God cares about them completely. They need Jesus. And Peter didn't miss the opportunity to go from, hey, this one lame guy got healed to a bunch of people end up getting saved that day because he boldly declared the truth of Jesus and said, you need to repent and accept him. God wants 
to heal people. Peter and John never stopped sharing the message. They shared it to the man that was healed. They shared it to the crowds gathered in amazement. And if we continue the story through chapter four, they share it boldly to those persecuting them because they get taken captive by the Sadducees and kind of put on a little trial here. And they refused at every turn to stop preaching Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit helps us to see the unseen and to see today's need and opportunity. Will we step into it? That's our first story. You got it? Kids, you got it? Yeah? All right, number two. Chapter eight now. I love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter eight, we have the story of Philip. This is another disciple, a different disciple. And Philip gets to have an encounter with a guy from a whole other country, this guy from Ethiopia. Um, he's called the eunuch from Ethiopia. He's not given a name, but he had an important role. Um, he was in like the very court of the queen of Ethiopia. He was an important man. And he had gone to Jerusalem and was worshiping there and was returning back. And he's in his chariot and this story takes place. Acts chapter eight, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip said, oh man, the desert, really? Just go on the road. Like you're not even telling me how far I'm going or where I'm going. Just go on the road in the desert. Is that, is that what he did? He complained about it? No. Verse 27, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. He's the CFO of the whole country. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip said, man, chariots are pulled by horses. That's pretty fast. I'm just a dude and like, you know, don't forget, men aren't wearing pants yet. I've got this robe thing on and some sandals. Like, I don't think I can catch up to that chariot. No. So Philip ran to him. Listen, every time the Holy Spirit speaks in this story, Philip responds. I wonder how many really cool things we've missed out on because in this moment right here, I wasn't willing to respond to the Holy Spirit when he spoke. But if I'll say yes here, who knows what comes next? See, the other thing that we see in this story is not only does the Holy Spirit speak and Philip responds, the Holy Spirit never gives him the next step. He only tells him the, the immediate thing to do. Go walk down that road. No direction as to why. Okay, now you're on the road. Go run up to that chariot. We know who's in the chariot. He doesn't. Go to the chariot. What am I gonna do when I get there? Just go. All right, and he runs and he goes. I would love to know, by the way, how fast he ran to catch up to that chariot. I just have this suspicion that maybe he actually owns the world record for the 100 meter dash. I just, I think it's possible. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding, but I don't know. Have you ever chased down a chariot? Horses are fast. All right, moving on. The Holy Spirit invites him on this adventure. So pick it up in verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? 
and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? I love this. Philip has reached the point of having a conversation with this eunuch. He has no idea what's going to happen, but he listens and he hears what the guy is reading. And he hears him reading from Isaiah 53. It's the passage that in advance, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up on the scene, describes in detail his crucifixion and what it's going to look like. Now notice this. You have to know Philip's excited, right? He's going, oh man, I know that passage. Isaiah 53, I know what that's all about. So did he just launch into his sermon? No. He asks him a question. Hey, uh, what, what do you got going on there? What you reading? Do you understand it? He asks him a question. He engages in a conversation. What Philip does is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit invites. He draws. And so Philip just asks a question, and a conversation takes place. Going on an adventure with the Holy Spirit involves curiosity. It involves me caring enough about people to want to hear what's going on with them. I, I believe one of the primary ways that we can cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit is to know he knows what's going on, but I don't. And so what if I adopted the position of being a really good listener? Now, this isn't just my opinion. Jesus did this constantly. He constantly interacted with people by asking them questions, getting to know them. And so Philip starts by just asking a question. See, he's, he's learned how to listen because he already, we see he listens to the Holy Spirit. And so listening to the Holy Spirit has helped him to learn to listen to other people too. I, I believe that we have an epidemic in our culture at least, because I'm most familiar with our culture. I believe we have an epidemic of being really bad listeners. Really bad listeners. And I think even those of us who have started to practice listening, we listen in order to respond back with our idea. I'm getting just enough information so that I can then jump in and share my thing that I want to say. But I believe we are meant to listen in order to understand, not in order to respond. See, when you're participating with the Holy Spirit, the pressure's off. Philip doesn't have to be sitting there wringing his hands going, oh man, what am I going to say? And oh man, this guy's from Ethiopia. Does he, does he even understand the language I speak? Like, how's this going to happen? And he's not thinking about himself at all or how he might fall short or he might not know what to say. He listens and responds to the Holy Spirit. Now there's a person here. Cool, let me engage with this person. And he listens to the guy. He invites a conversation before you know it. Instead of Philip trying to shove the gospel down his throat, the eunuch is saying, will you explain this to me? Why? Philip felt safe. He felt welcomed and okay with him. Philip wasn't forcing his way in. He invited Philip in. He could tell the guy cared about him. Are you catching this? 
When I'm talking about participating with the Holy Spirit, I don't mean you walk around with your pre-prepared sermon that you're going to hit everybody you meet over the head with. I'm talking about listening to his voice, paying attention to people around you, and engaging with them in a loving, caring way. One of the primary ways we can show people we love them is by listening to them when they've got something to say. You know what listening does? It says you matter. I care about you. I'm even fascinated by what you might say. If you want to try this, husbands, go, go home and do this. Practice this for a little bit. Let your wife talk. Listen to what she has to say. I know Manuel loves his wife, so he could get up here and preach on this. Right? Absolutely. Listen. It shows honor. It shows care. You're elevating somebody. Remember, human beings are image bearers. We bear the image of God. People are special. They're important. They matter. The, the person begging on the side of the street mattered. The foreigner that Philip easily could have been intimidated by, I don't know how I'm going to talk to this guy. I can't relate to his culture. I might not even speak his language. But he cared about the guy, and he showed it by drawing near and listening. And he let this guy invite him in. And then to wrap up the story, after all of that takes place, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He got invited in. He said, man, let me tell you about this guy I know. And he shared the life of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is the water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, it's not the special Sunday that we do once every couple of months. And <laughs> Nothing, bro, let's go. And they jump in the water. And he, he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself, I love that phrase, found himself at Azotus. I mean, don't you know he's walking around going, hey, uh, where am I? What town is this? People are looking at him like, man, you are crazy. You don't know what town you're in? How'd you get here? And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns till he came to Caesarea. I, I'm not guaranteeing you that you'll be transported. But I, I'm not guaranteeing you that you won't. <laughs> see, sometimes we get so hung up on the miracles and we either think that is impossible, I'll never see something like that happen in my life. Or we think like, I don't know how I would get there. Like, even if that's possible, even if I could see that happen, how would I ever get there? Right? We just can feel stuck, like intimidated by it. Man, that'll never happen. Or we can chase that stuff. I want to see these big miracles. But God's saying, can I trust you with people? Can I, can I trust you to love people, care about people, be motivated to meet people's needs and share the love of Jesus with them? The kind of person that's motivated by love and not the fireworks is the kind of person that might find themselves running as fast as a chariot or being transported to another town because the Holy Spirit looks and says, that's somebody I can trust to do miracles with because they're not about themselves. They're about loving other people. Man, you want to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit? 
cooperate with him. He loves people. And he's working in people's lives all day, every day. And we can join him if we're willing to pay attention. All right. Last one. How many of you, you can just raise your hand, how many of you have heard the story of Saul who becomes Paul going on the road to Damascus and Jesus stops him in his tracks and he has this conversion experience, right? Okay. If you're like me, when I think of that story, I think about Paul. I think about the Paul that we know he becomes, the guy who preaches everywhere, starts churches everywhere, writes I don't know, two-thirds, three-quarter, three-fifth. I've heard different numbers of the New Testament. I've never done the math for myself to figure out exactly how much of the New Testament he wrote. It was a lot. But what we don't think about is the guy that had the courage to go talk to Saul before he was Paul. And so we're going to look at this story through the lens of Ananias, through the lens of Ananias. So we're going to skip what we know has taken place and Ananias does not know has taken place. And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Just to be clear, this is not the same Ananias from Ananias and Sapphira. I wonder how many times he had to tell people, that wasn't me. <laughs> All right, different Ananias. I don't know if this was like John or some other popular name back then, but there you go. There's a second Ananias. So he's in Damascus, he's a disciple. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, talking about Damascus, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Now, Ananias listens to God and he hears God's voice and he responds to him and says, here am I. But Ananias, like I think many of us would in this instance, has some fear. He says, okay, God, I hear what you're saying, but this guy that you're telling me to go see, he like sits by while Christians are being killed. In fact, he goes around and finds them and throws them into prison. Now, this is not, there's a message to be preached at some point about fears and anxieties that are just rooted in our own mind, right? Like fears that aren't based in reality. This fear is based in reality. Ananias ain't making this up. If we skip back to verses one and two, it says, but Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was one of the ways they described Christians, to the way, men or women, he didn't care, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was going to Damascus for the sole purpose of enslaving Christians and bringing them to Jerusalem to put them on trial. Ananias is right. This guy is murderous. He wants to kill Christians. He wants to throw them in jail. It's the reason he's coming to my town. And now you're telling me to voluntarily show up and say, hey, I believe in Jesus. 
I may as well just walk in and go like this and let him clap on the handcuffs. Ananias is right. This is a real fear founded in reality. But while he doesn't know what God is doing, God is up to something. God is up to something. He has no idea what's actually going on in the heart and mind of Saul. How often do we trust what we see and what we know about people instead of trusting that God sees and knows something about people that we don't see? He's the one who knows. I wonder how often we've written people off and labeled them as our enemy. And God's saying, I want you to go love your enemy. I love your enemy. And I'm doing something in their life. So the Lord hears him out. He's worried, he's nervous. And in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, we have no idea what God has planned for people. Now, I believe with all my heart, Paul was getting saved. Saul was becoming Paul. That was going to happen. And I believe if Ananias didn't go to his house, somebody else would. But guess what? Ananias got to go. He got to participate in seeing a miracle take place. A murderous, angry person, furious with the people who were following Jesus. He got to go and participate in this guy's life changing because he was more interested in going and loving his enemy than he was in protecting himself. See, I can't sit here and promise you that God's not gonna call you to scary things. And sometimes those scary things might be very real. But when the Holy Spirit is with us and his power goes with us, we can see miracles happen in the midst of the fear. And so verse 17 Ananias departed, he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. I love that. I love that. He went in and looked his enemy in the eye and called him brother before it was true. Think about that. You know, we, like if we were in Ananias' shoes, it would just be so easy to see this guy as this angry murderer that he was. But in reality, God had been doing something in his heart and he was breaking down those walls and he was open and because somebody was courageous enough not to see a vicious enemy, but to see a child of God, he could look him in the eye and call him brother. Can you imagine what that must have done to Saul's heart? I've been throwing you guys in prison. I celebrated when they stoned Stephen. I've been killing the very family that you're a part of, and you're looking me in the eye and calling me brother? That's some courage. Following the Holy Spirit, it requires love, it requires gentleness, and it requires courage. And we see all those things on display in these stories. And so Ananias looks in the eye, calls him Brother Saul, He says, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can know this same Holy Spirit that's living in me. 
And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. When we choose to love our enemies, we might find that we lose an enemy and gain a brother. You know, that's what Jesus did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now he invites us to do the same. Guys, we can cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit by cooperating with him. And this is what he helps us do. See the unseen, go on the adventure, and face our fear. If we're willing to have his kind of eyes that see the unseen, if we're willing to go on the adventure with him, only knowing maybe a step at a time, and if we're willing to face our fear, we can watch incredible stuff happens and we can share Jesus with people in need because that's the point. Sharing the life of Jesus with people in need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love for us. God, I thank you. There's some specific names I can think of and then there's probably countless people I can't even imagine who said yes to your spirit and they obeyed at different points in time to share your love and your truth, and I'm standing here today because they did. God, thank you that you've loved me and you've saved me. Thank you that I can know you. God, that I can, can, can cultivate a real relationship with you, that I can hear your voice. God, thank you that I can cooperate with you. I can participate in seeing your love shared with others. God, I pray that I would be willing to do that. Lord, that I'd be willing to slow down and see the people that are right in my path. That I could hear you saying, this person right here and respond to you. God, I'd be willing to go on that adventure and that when it's scary, God, I'd be willing to face my fear and see enemies become brothers and sisters in the kingdom. God, I pray that when we hear you, we would respond and we'd respond with love for people Jesus, that we would share your life with others around us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.